This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. And good evening, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. Great to have you with us wherever you are dialed in across the state of South Carolina. We are in Knoxville, Tennessee tonight at South Carolina and fifth-ranked Tennessee here at Thompson Bowling Arena. And uh, the Gamecocks are 13-and-a-half-point underdogs for this one. A lot of folks not giving the Gamecocks much of a chance here tonight against a very talented Tennessee team, which is very, very good everywhere they play, but especially very, very good at home. They are deep. They are lengthy. They have got shooters. They've got rebounders. They've got veterans. They've got one of the great coaches in college basketball. They pretty much got everything that you need to win a national championship. That's something that Rick Barnes has not been able to accomplish, whether at Texas or at Tennessee. But he has had some really, really good teams and this is one of them. We'll talk more about it in a moment. The Gamecocks will have Miles Studi available tonight. He is wearing a compression sleeve on his shoulder, but he's cleared to play. He's been warming up, so they've got everybody ready to go, and they should come into this game very confident, riding a three-game SEC winning streak. They have identified themselves in the league now as somebody defensively you don't want to mess with. They've got that identity now, and they hope they can carry that into this game tonight in a place where they haven't won since 2017. The fans are filing in. Looks like we're going to have a big crowd here at a place that seats about 22,000. It's a beautiful arena, and it will be loud. So I'll be here with you till 6.30. We have Pat Daniel back at our studios in Columbia, and, of course, when we go to the bullpen, we bring in our ace right-hander, yep. Matt Smith, joining us. Uh, Chris Bergen is on the road with the Coastal Carolina basketball team. So we got all this to talk about tonight. We got Clemson and Louisville, a 9 o'clock tip of at Little John Coliseum tonight. David Hood will join Smitty and Pat at 635 from TigerNet to talk about that and other things related to Clemson. We got some baseball talk tonight. Smitty's lined up an interview with uh, Coach McGuire from Upstate. Uh, uh, the Upstate uh, baseball program uh, had a great year last year and figures to be strong again this year. We'll update some recruiting as well. And uh, we got other news coming out of Knoxville today about the Vols and the NCAA. They're number three in line. It's like, it's like lining up to land at uh, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta. Who's landing first? I guess that was... Florida State, who landed second? Florida, now who's in line to land third with the NCAA Gestapo? And that's going to be Tennessee. The question is, who will be fourth, fifth, and on down the line as they start unveiling these investigations to try to crack down on schools for breaking rules that weren't in place when they were breaking the so-called rules? We'll talk about all that in just a moment. Welcome, Smitty. 
Oh, I'm so happy to be with you, Corn. Uh, what a big night. And, you know, you mentioned that spread. I saw it at 14 and a half earlier today. I don't know where it sits currently before South Carolina and Tennessee. But, wow, that's massive for a team that's 17 and 3 to be that type of underdog. Just, just knowing what you've watched over the years with Vegas and everything, is there a bit of an overreaction to how poorly South Carolina played against Alabama? In my mind, tonight, I, I mean, look, I could see it getting away from South Carolina. Tennessee can be explosive, and as you said, smothering defensively. All the metrics tell us that. But South Carolina's no pushovers. This is this club that just came off a victory over Kentucky not long ago. They're playing with great confidence. They're absolutely well coached, and they're playing together. I'd be surprised if they go up to Knoxville tonight and get thumped by 20. That would really surprise me. Well, then you will be one of the few uh, surprised because I think I think most people filing in here tonight are looking at Tennessee. I don't think, you know, the voters came up just a little short this week in the AP poll for South Carolina, and that's okay. It doesn't matter if you're ranked or not ranked. You can take care of your business later on. I mean, I guess with the selection committee, if you have to go through the selection committee and they're looking at data, they're looking at the AP ranking, they're looking at the net ranking and all that. But I think that most people coming in here tonight do not expect South Carolina to be able to hang with this team here. Uh, But South Carolina's got to have that belief in their locker room that if they stay out of foul trouble, If they can make Tennessee play at their pace, this is a team averaging 83 points per game. If they can make Tennessee uh, play at a slower pace, Vanderbilt did that for a half Saturday in Nashville and actually led by five at halftime. They just couldn't keep it going in the second half, and Tennessee cut it loose in the second half and went on to a win. This game's going to be all about pace. Can South Carolina defensively force a pace and offensively control a pace that keeps Tennessee from getting up and down the court and knocking down shots. The uh, the guy that you got to be concerned about, of course, there's several guys on Tennessee's team you got to be concerned about, but Dalton Connect has kind of taken the yeah. SEC uh, on one-on-one and has been on fire. He has scored 160 points in his last five games in the SEC. Uh, He has been sensational. He's averaging over 30 points per game on the road, about 20 points per game here at his his home arena. He's a 6'6 transfer from Colorado State. He's averaging about 20 points per game overall. So you got him on, on one hand who's red hot, and then on the other hand for Tennessee, the Charleston native Josiah Jordan James has really been struggling. He's only averaging about two points, a little over two or three points per game in SEC play. Shooting percentage has been very, very poor. He's just had a very rough start in SEC play. Overall, he's averaging about nine points per game. So if you're Tennessee, you're you're waiting on him. You're hoping he's going to break out. If you're South Carolina, you're hoping that he will continue to struggle and maybe that's one less guy you have to really worry about. But it's a veteran group with uh, Jonas Adu. He's back. He's a junior, uh, averaging 12 and 7.5. And I mentioned Connect. He's a fifth-year guy. Uh, Ziegler, the point guard, he's a junior, averaging 10 and 5 assists. And then there is the grandfather, Santiago Vescovi. I mean, it seems like he's been here for 15 years. He's averaging about 8 points and 4 rebounds per game. So it's a veteran group. 
Uh, they go 6'11", 6'6", 6'7", 6'3", and 5'9". So they're a, a tall, lean, athletic group, uh, Smitty. So if you're South Carolina, it's just about controlling tempo, not turning it over, and, and, and not getting into foul trouble and trying to play sound defense and see if you can make Tennessee play the game at your speed. Yeah, you're right about that, Corn. And, look, you, you, you laid out all the reasons that Tennessee is a top-ten program and they're challenging for a number-one seed in the NCAA tournament. But let me give you, you – you just mentioned that Vanderbilt gave them some issues by slowing the game down. I think the blueprint was laid out by Mississippi State, the lone uh, SEC team to knock off Tennessee so far this season. Now, that's a Mississippi State club that's very physical – very big on the front court, but South Carolina took them down. Now, that game was at the CLA, but they beat Tennessee a couple of weeks back by five points. Connect got 28 points in that game, but nobody else really got off. So that could be the way South Carolina pulls the major upset or at least stays in it. Take what Mississippi State did. It wasn't shutting down Connect. He's a volcano. He's like a, He's scoring like Jerry West right now. But maybe if you said, as you said, Keep the lid on everybody else for Tennessee because he's going to get his, but keep the lid on everybody else. Stay connected defensively. Hang tough and do what South Carolina does. I read a great stat today. They're 12th in the country, Corn, at forcing two-point jump shots. We've got a stat for everything now, but think about that. That's a really good statistic defensively, and that's Lamont Paris's game plan. And this group of guys has really put it into action, and that's why they're having success. So I'll say it again. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd be surprised if they go up and get waxed tonight. I, I think Tennessee certainly should be favored, maybe even favored by double digits. But I think this line's gotten a little inflated. All right. Well, we shall see. Meantime, up at the Little John Coliseum tonight, it's Clemson against Louisville. And this will be one angry group of Clemson Tigers taking the court. 13-6, and 3-5 and five in the ACC, coming off – that um, trying to think of the best way to describe it. I mean, you could say heartbreaking, but I don't think heartbreaking really describes that loss at, at Duke. I would say more like backbreaking. I mean, that 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 game. You get, this is where Clemson has to be careful. Did that game just break their spirit? Because they had that game, four point lead with the ball, two minutes to go. You got to win that game. You can't turn it over four straight times. You can't put yourself in a position to let the officials decide the outcome. They did all that. And now they're returning home. And, you know, since they got to ACC play, it's been kind of a roller coaster ride. Three losses in a row. Then they beat Boston College. Then they lose in double overtime at home to Georgia Tech. Then they go down and beat Florida State. Then they go to Duke and let one get away. Now it's a really, really, really bad Louisville team coming to Little John tonight. They should just release all their frustration, Smitty, on the Cardinals tonight and take it to their backside. I mean, Louisville 6-14 <laughs> and 1-8 and and in the ACC. They're coming off a 17-point loss uh, to Virginia at home. Uh, they're on a five-game losing streak. This should be... This should be a walkover for Clemson if their mind is right. Yeah, and you pointed out, don't let Duke beat you twice. But I, I really don't think that's what's going to happen with this group. Uh, if you listen to P.J. Hall when he talks to the media in post game, 
He's so mature at this stage of his career, and that's the type of leadership they have inside that locker room. This is a very veteran Clemson team, and that's why they were as close to pulling the upset at Cameron Indoor as they were. I I just can't see them falling apart. I I hear you because anybody, as you said, backbreaking, uh, that was a knee to the testicles. Anybody is going to be emotionally distraught after that. But I just think Louisville doesn't have the firepower to pull the upset against Clemson. I think the fans get behind Clemson for this late start tonight, and I don't think that line's inflated. I think Clemson runs away at least least in the second half, even if they get off to a slow start. And – you know, if Brad Brown's message to the team has to be, guys, that you know that stings. We're, we're going to have to get over that. It's, we're going to live with that for a long time. However, it didn't really hurt us, right? If you look at the net rankings, if you look at where Clemson is projected in the NCAA tournament by most of the bracketologists, it does. It, it was not that bad a loss for Clemson. Dust yourself off. Move on. Plenty to play for. There's a lot of chicken left on the bone for Clemson this season. Excellent point. Excellent point. All right, so these are the only two games involving state teams tonight. You've also got North Carolina at Georgia Tech, Syracuse at Boston College, Mississippi State at Ole Miss, Miami at NC State. That's it for SEC, ACC play. Now, the um, the other big story here is, in Knoxville, hits you right in the face as you're coming through the Smoky Mountains. You know, I was having a nice, quiet ride through the mountains, and I tune in to uh, local radio here in Knoxville, hear the story about the NCAA investigating Tennessee about alleged infractions involving NIL and their their hotshot quarterback, Amaleva, who we all know, based on reports, got a huge NIL deal. And this apparently has something to do with the use of a plane and involves their collective uh, spires, their collective group. A whole bunch of stuff thrown in there as, again, we see the NCAA trying to police NIL from behind, leading from behind is what they're trying to do here as as they've hit Florida State and Florida and now Tennessee. The Tennessee president fired back at him and said, B.S., you're full of it, and you can't come in and enforce rules that weren't in place at the time all of this was happening, and you can't go back and cite people for breaking rules that didn't exist at the time all this was going on. I mean, it was the wild, wild west, as you might recall, when the Supreme Court made its ruling that led to all of this. There were no rules. There were no guidelines, and so everybody – did their own thing. These collectives came out of the ground, and and athletes started signing with them, and then schools started creating their own collectives, and then they tried to bring it in-house and try to direct things from their own collectives on the inside. But prior to all that, you had offers being made to players. You had tampering going on. You had boosters heavily involved in any way they wanted to be involved use of planes use of cars use of money because there was nothing there to say they couldn't do it now the ncaa is coming back and saying you're breaking the rules that we've now put in place and now they're trying to hit these schools up i don't think they have a i don't think they have a chance here smitty enforcing anything against these schools and if they do i think it's just if they try to i think it's just going to speed up the process of these schools saying to heck with you we're going to go form our own organization make our own rules and do it our way 
Well, I'd, I'd really like to dig into, you know, you as you said, the, the rules weren't in place. I think that's an important element to this. I mean, I think in a court of law, that would be procedural. They would toss the case out right away. So that's the, the part. If you're sure about that, then your rant stands. I mean, you've got to toss the allegations. Well, we'll see what happens here because the folks at Tennessee are none too happy about this. The story was first reported by Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated. And as I mentioned, the president at Tennessee issued a letter back to the NCAA and their athletic director uh, did so as well. They've all spoken out about this and they believe they're in a the right spot. They believe they're in the right position. Tennessee does. They believe they're in the right place and right position and on the right side of this situation. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. But she has sent a letter to the president of the NCAA, Charlie Baker, lashing back at them for trying now to come in and interfere in the operation of NIL and inserting rules that, you know, maybe should have been in place at the very outset as this was coming together and now saying that you have broken rules that we put in place after the fact, she's saying that just doesn't fly with them or any of the other schools involved in this stuff. You know, that that, that sounds accurate right away, but I just want to be careful to not, not leap to judgment. I'll let you do it. I'll let you do it. You get out there. But I, I just want to dig into this and make sure that uh, what she's saying is accurate. But you're right about this. The NCAA is continues to be ineffect, ineffectual. They absolutely need a PR department. Uh, they make a mess out of everything they release publicly. They take forever to do things, and then half the time they get it wrong or more. And then, as you said, they open the floodgates to something, and then they show up and decide they're going to dam it all up again. They they just are a laughingstock, and I'm 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 certainly on your side. It's time for them to get out of the way, at least of college football and college basketball. I know the NCAA may have a role a role to play when it comes to amateur wrestling or gymnastics, but college football and college basketball and maybe college baseball is beyond the NCAA's reach at this point. Yeah. Well, I said a while back when all this was starting to come out, the NCAA, they look at media reports. They look at the newspapers, what's left of them. They look at the websites. And you notice they've gone after the most high-profile cases so far. You know, the Florida case, which was very highly publicized with that quarterback. The Tennessee case here, very highly publicized with their quarterback. Uh, the Florida uh, the Florida State allegations down there. Um, I'm trying to think if there was one big NIL case there that was heavily reported on. Nothing's coming to mind, but there must have been some other things there with Florida State. And my point is, I mean, if they want to – Look around. I mean, South Carolina had outside collectives making deals with players. Clemson had outside collectives making deals with players. Internal collectives working inside 
the school as well to make deals with players and who knows what they were were doing to try to get these deals done was there any sort of violations of transportation rules or things that the NCAA are trying to enforce my point is if those other three are caught in the um, crossfire of all this there's no reason to think it couldn't happen to Clemson or South Carolina or anybody else down the line Smitty I'm going to pitch it to you because we're getting ready to have the national anthem we'll come back and I'll drop a few recruiting notes in on you Excellent. Well, yes, no doubt. We're looking forward to that. Gives us a chance to welcome Pat Daniel to the show as well. Pat, I gave my take on South Carolina and Tennessee, which is the bigger game tonight. Obviously, Clemson favorite over Louisville. But what's your 10th second take on South Carolina, Tennessee? Obviously, the volunteers deserve to be favored. But I think that line is a little thick. I'm with you. I think it's a little too thick. I think the Gamecocks are coming in filled with confidence, but I don't think they're overly confident. I think they're going to come in, play their game, and Lamont Paris has just done such a marvelous job this year with the team, especially on the defensive end of the court. We've heard it from his opening introductory press conference when he was hired that defense is his bread and butter, and it's also the thing that's the hardest part of the game for his players to learn. I think his team is, they haven't mastered it yet, but they're awfully close on the defensive end, and I think that alone will keep them within whatever the spread is now, 12.5, 13.5. I do think the Volunteers ultimately win the game, but I think Carolina keeps it close to the end. With the difference maker, and I know this is more than 10 seconds at this point, but uh, y'all went through the roster a little bit. Ziegler, for me, yeah. is the spark plug for the Volunteers. Right. That team, after point his... Guard, right? after Yeah, the point guard. After his injury last season, I believe it was an ACL, after his injury... They were not the same team, and they really struggled down the stretch. Now he's back, he's healthy, he's leading the Volunteers, and they are they are very difficult to beat, especially up in Rocky Top. Yep, absolutely, and uh, I, I don't disagree with your assessment or Phil's assessment uh, about any of the reasons that Tennessee, is, uh, look, there's a reason that they're challenging at the top of the SEC with Alabama. There's a reason that they're challenging for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And they're on their home floor. But 6.30 starts kind of weird, right? Is, has the food settled? I mean, you got the blue plate special in. Gosh, that is a weird Bo- start. At, at, at Del Boca Vista? You know, <laughs> is that enough time to digest to digest the food? I don't know. We'll follow that game absolutely. And what we're going to do is we're going to have corn back with us at halftime. So everybody stay with us. We're going to get an on-site report from Phil Kornblut, who's right there with his eyeballs on Tennessee and South Carolina in what is such a big game for Lamont Paris. Also, want to tackle this tonight. This is something Pat mentioned on the show previously, and I want to dig into it with our callers, 888-898-2525 tonight. Would Lamont Paris, if this season ends in glowing fashion for the Gamecocks, get to the NCAA tournament, maybe pick up a win there, would he entertain a return to the Big Ten? He's a Midwest guy. His big, his biggest ties are to Wisconsin and Bo Ryan. I'd love to dig into that tonight. Also, on a scale of one to Mission Impossible, how tough is South Carolina's 2024 football schedule? I know you guys have gone over it. I'll give, I'll give my uh, quick take on it later on tonight. But when we come back, we'll talk Clemson. Not just Clemson Hoops. They've got Louisville tonight. We'll have David Hood on. We're going to get his reaction to that call 
that ended the Duke-Clemson game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and also Clemson Big Recruiting Weekend. That's David Hood coming up at the, at the end of this break. And we're going to welcome Phil Cornblue back with us to sign off from up in Knoxville. What you got, Phil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say uh, follow along on our Twitter at SportsTalkSC.com or our X at SportsTalkSC.com and postgame coverage as well. And, Smitty, I'm going to email you the recruiting report so later tonight you can do it. You can do it, Smitty. You can do it. I'm going to send it to you. I, I cannot wait. Everybody wants to hear me do my impression of Phil Cornblue and the recruiting report presented by Sewell. So all that and more coming up tonight on Sports Talk. David Hood, TigerNet.com joins us when we return. Welcome back to Sports Talk. Smitty here with you tonight. We also have Pat Daniel, Phil Cornblute on location in Knoxville as he's covering South Carolina and Tennessee. South Carolina tries to pull the shocker up there on Rocky Top. And so with Corn away for the moment, we had we have to wait for Corn to leave before we cite an ESPN story. He just won't give ESPN any credit. But ESPN currently has South Carolina as a nine seed projected in the NCAA tournament. Clemson as a sixth seed in the same uh, region, by the way. So that would be a lot of fun for this state. And we've been over previously that it's been a long time since South Carolina and Clemson went to the NCAA tournament dance together. So now to discuss that, let's bring in our friend, kind of our, to me, our sports talk Clemson Bureau chief. The great David Hood from TigerNet.com. Hey, David. Hello. Hey, David. Sorry. We had, I, I gave you this big buildup. I said you were the chief of the Sports Talk Clemson Bureau. The great David Hood from Oh, man. I'm, I'm just, yeah, always glad to join you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. We are, yes. Yeah, so Corn, he's he's checking out South Carolina and Tennessee. So we want to take this opportunity just to talk a little Clemson, not just about the game tonight, Clemson Louisville, also about the big recruiting weekend coming up. Uh, some of the stories you've got posted at TigerNet.com. But I will start here, David. Anybody in our profession, we, we've all been there before. You're watching Clemson. And it's it's slowly happening before your eyes. It looks like they're going to knock off Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium for the first time since 1995. You've got the framework of the story in your mind. You've got to be thinking of headlines. You have to. You have to think about what it's going to look like on your site. People are going to talk about it, what it's going to do to the trajectory of Clemson season. And then the snap of a finger, it all goes away. Take us, take us, if you will, back to that moment watching that last foul call. And was your reaction like Brad Brownell's reaction as he said, it was taken from us? Well, you know, I'll tell you what, Smitty. I go back to that uh, 2016 home game against Pitt. 
for Clemson football. When I wrote my lead uh, that Clemson was going to win that that game and kind of got ahead of things, and of course we all know Pitt came back. They won it on a, a late field goal. Uh, Clemson's long winning streak was snapped. The long home winning streak was snapped, and I thought, you know what? That's what I get. That's karma for going ahead and writing about a victory. And it's it's almost the reverse of that when you think about Clemson and Duke, because in my mind, because I've covered so many games at, at Cameron and or because I've covered so many games at the Dean Dome, it was almost like, yeah, not only am I not writing this, I'm trying to figure out how I write it when the heartbreak comes. Because the heartbreak is coming. Something's going to happen. And, you know, you, you sit there and you watch it, and Clemson's got the lead. And Ian Shefflin, who has played great for Clemson all season long, has maybe been, you could say, other than P.J. Hall, their most valuable player. He throws the ball away. They come back down the court, throws the ball away. And I'm sitting there in my mind going, and this is how it begins. In fact, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of sitting there in your head going, this is this is how the heartbreak uh Starts. And then, you know, so it really shouldn't have been in that situation for an official to, you know, interject in the game. They had already had a, a technical foul call that was just absolutely bogus. There had been some stuff. You know, I watched Shefflin get his head taken off earlier in the game. No foul was called. B.J. Hall shouldn't have really been in that position. But, you know, you go back and you watch the replay, and Proctor, he's driving in the lane, and he does what you're supposed to do. He's not really touched, but he throws his head back. You know, like a, a dookie does. Oh my gosh, I've been assaulted and murdered here in the middle of the lane. And he gets the foul call. That's that's what they do. It's what it's what LeBron is known for. It's what punters and kickers are known for. It's just part of sport. All right. It's yes. So that sounds like Yeah, you you have it, it some emotional maturity about it. Some of the some of the people covering Clemson did not and some of the fans did not. As a matter of fact, now you said there were some missed calls, but Tim Beret tweeted it was the worst officiated game he'd seen in 47 years. Tim Beret doesn't usually come out and trash officials. That's that's not his lane. I don't know if you saw that tweet, but that really raised my eyebrows. And, and more than anything, whether he's right or he's wrong, more importantly, it shows you how much that loss kind of hurt Clemson's the, the the base must have been so injured by that because it was it's like winning at North Carolina, winning at winning at Chapel Hill, winning at Duke. That's special. Yeah, it is. And I saw Tim's tweet. I actually embedded his tweet in my story because I think that that does say a lot. And and it was it was look, it was not a very well officiated game. Not the worst I've ever seen. The worst I think I've ever seen was uh, that game where Clemson had uh, six players foul out, forty one fouls. You know, against North Carolina, uh, finished the the game with four players on the court. That was maybe the worst I've ever seen. But this one against Duke, it was it was bad. There's no doubt about it. And you know, and and here's the deal: is that there were some calls I think that that could have been called against Clemson that weren't called. These officials, <clears throat> it, it was almost like they went through stretches of we're going to let them play, and then once the players got adjusted to that, it was now we're not going to let them play. Now we're going to call the ticky tack stuff. Oh, now we're going to let them play again. They just the officials were they were bad, and and that's about the only way you can put it. They were just bad all night. Yeah, David Hood joining us, TigerNet.com. But that loss, because of the way the net rankings works, it doesn't cripple Clemson. As I mentioned, they are a projected six seed uh, in ESPN. 
What, what do you take? Yeah, the from way that the network so they actually step, they actually jumped up six spots. They went right, right because you lose all they the road. They went up six spots right to the loss. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. They they went up six so now, spots, and that they're still in really good shape. And you know, this is something I asked Brad Brownell about: is that they are the only team in the league to have played five of their first eight games, uh, league games on the road. So now they get hmm. to finish with a very home friendly schedule. The front part of the schedule was front loaded. It's tougher than the back end. So, you know, I asked him yesterday, can you, you know, make some hay now? You're going to be at home more than you're going to be on the road. Schedule's a little bit easier. And he said, I to be seen because they've already lost a couple of league games at home, including one to Georgia Tech, and haven't shot at well at home. So, you know, they get it started tonight against Louisville, which has lost five in a row. Uh, you know, maybe this is kind of a, a get well party for them. David, with that being said, just to touch on this, remember last season it seemed almost like the Tigers' season got derailed by that 83-73 loss to a 3-23 and Louisville team. We heard all about that being a major reason why the Tigers were left out of the NCAA tournament. Now right here it almost seems like a perfect storm where you have an emotional team coming off a hard loss against Duke. How do they rebound and kind of turn the page like we're going to do here on that Duke loss and look forward to Louisville and not let that Duke loss hit you twice. Yeah, so they they kind of gave the players uh, a good bit of Sunday off. They could come in and shoot around if they wanted to. And then they spent Monday just basically they, they, they looked at 35 clips, 35 cut-ups of the Duke game. Here's where we got to do better. Here's where we lost the game. Here's some things that really cost us. And then it was immediately, you know, turn the page to Louisville. And so – you know, this is where, again, you've got to have the senior leaders. You've got to have P.J. Hall, Joe Girard, Chase Hunter. They've been through it, even Ian Shefflin. They've been through it before. They've been through the wars, and they know what this means. And You, you know, you, 9 o'clock, it's you know, probably not going to be a sold-out crowd, not a great opponent, and they're going to have to, to kind of find their own energy and bring their own energy, or they, they could get beat again. Uh, this is a Louisville team that's not as bad as that one last year. They're – Probably, I think I looked earlier, 100 spots better in, in the net ranking. So, you know, not as bad. They've already beat Miami. Uh, so they can win this game. And, and you've just got to be able to kind of find your own energy out there. David Hood, uh, TigerNet.com, joining us on Sports Talk. David, sh- a quick shift to football recruiting. A lot of great stories up right now at TigerNet.com. How are the new assistant coaches at Clemson fitting into and impacting things from a recruiting perspective right here in the offseason for Clemson? Well, you know, you can start with Chris Rumpf, and, and, and he, he joined in with Nick Easton to give them just an, an incredibly dynamic one-two punch for the defensive line. And You know, they go out and, and they get Isaiah Campbell. He's uh, committed, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, yesterday after the, the elite retreat this, or, the, you know, the elite junior day this past weekend. Uh, they got Ari Watford, who's a big-time defensive end. Uh, earlier, but you know, last week, he was one that I kind of was watching. Would he wait until uh, you, you know the elite uh, junior day to come in and, and, and commit? But no, he committed earlier. And then you look at what Matt Luke is doing along the offensive line. Tigers already had Easton Ware. He's a teammate of the the running back commit Gideon Davidson out of Lynchburg, Virginia. Already had him committed. But you know, it was this time last year where Thomas Austin started missing on some guys where, you know, they brought in a lot of guys to, you know, the elite junior day, and it seemed like all of those guys just wound up popping up going elsewhere. It really started in December uh, of 2022 for them, and, and they just never really could get that offensive line recruiting 
on track. So enter Matt Luke, who, of course, has that reputation. He's put guys in the league, and he loves to show on film of Laramie Tunsil, who he recruited and coached at Ole Miss, who's now, you know, one of the better tackles in all of, NFL, in all of the NFL. And all of a sudden, it starts to pop for him, and you go out and you get a kid like Braden Jacobs, who he has an NFL legacy. His dad played for the Giants, played running back. You know, they got uh, Jalen Beckley, the kid out of Texas, who I really thought would commit this past weekend. And, you know, one of the things that you look at is they're going out and getting big guys. Uh, there's none of this, hey, 6'1", 6'2". They're going out and getting, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guys. And and then there's more to come. They're, they're really into it with, with David Sanders, the five-star out of Charlotte. They thought that they had some ground to make up uh, with, with him, and I think they did. Uh, Mal Waldrop is another guy that you're looking at. Mason Short, who was committed to Alabama. All of these guys had fantastic weekends. And, you know, Matt Luke's already now got three kind of, uh, you, you know, in, in the barn. And, and I think they're looking at four, five. If, you know, you have a fourth and David Sanders wants to commit. And, you know, you just have to say, hey, we've got a shot at these guys, which is more than you can say this time last year. Absolutely. You know, David, I'd, I'd like your – take on this a few years back Dabo Sweeney started to take criticism like for hiring guys like Thomas Austin maybe not for hiring him but maybe the thought was Dabo Sweeney had the pipeline and it, it was too narrow it was it was running right through Clemson CJ Spiller had hired as running back coach the list goes on some of the recent hires have been from outside the house uh, Matt Luke is a great example, uh, a guy who's making an impact and, and with no ties to Clemson previously. Dabo Sweeney didn't even know him. Just went out and got a good football coach. Would Dabo Sweeney admit now maybe he was too Clemson-centric in his hires, or does he think they just didn't work out and it had nothing to do with it? He just It was just bad circumstances for those guys. Well, you know what? I will take it another direction that you didn't even mention. Uh, and that's the fact that when he kind of started, he, when he hired Lemansky Hall, Lemansky Hall had never coached defensive ends, had never really been a full-time coach in college football. When he hired Thomas Austin, he'd been at Georgia State, you know, for a year or two, but no real experience on the Power Five level. Kyle Grisham, same thing. C.J. Spiller, same thing. And all of a sudden, you, you go into last year and you look, and <clears throat> and I, and I, I, I posted this that that 2016 team that beat Alabama in the national championship had 206 combined years with nine assistant coaches of experience out on the recruiting trail in big games. And, the, you know, the squad that he brought in last year, 10 coaches, 56 total years. All of a sudden, you just lost a bunch of guys that knew how to coach football, that knew how to recruit. And and so, yeah, I think a lot of it was too too narrow, too inside the family. And then a lot of it, too, was guys who just haven't ever been there before. Guys that that have you know you go into 2016 and uh, you're, you're you're staring down Alabama in the national championship. Well, who's your offensive line coach? Robbie Caldwell, been a head coach, been there, done that. Uh, Danny Pierman, tight ends coach, been there, done that. Uh, guys like Marion Hobby and Dan Brooks along the defensive line have been coaches for forever. And all of a sudden, you're throwing a bunch of guys out there that had never been there before. And 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 so I think you can add yes, two Clemson centric, and yes, two experienced. David, you were absolutely the best. Stories up on TigerNet.com right now, including uh, T. Higgins mentioned there. There's everything about some of the more recent commitments for Clemson football. 
the top, uh, the two early ranking for Clemson football has a story right now at TigerNet.com. It's awesome. David, uh, in, in just a few seconds, we've got to let you go. How are you going to make it to the end of tonight's game? Do you go coffee? Do you nap at halftime? How do you make the end of these 9 o'clock tips? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's all going to be about a, 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 a little bit of uh, Coke, uh, Coke for me, uh, the cherry Coke that they have there in Little John Coliseum. All about cherry Coke. Hmm. All right. I'm already on the coffee to make it. I, 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 it's not – Brownell's not boring. But I'm gonna have trouble staying up late enough to for those post game comments. All right, man, be good. Thanks, David. All right, talk to you soon, David. David Hood, TigerNet.com. He is absolutely the best. Visit his website. Of course, we'll have the game. All the details posted. Clemson, Louisville tonight at SportsTalkSC.com, including that post game audio. From Brad Brownell, I will make it. The coffee's already brewing. We've got to take a break. Don't forget, still ahead, we've got recruiting. Bill Kornblut has sent me the juicy, fresh off the grill recruiting report. I can smell it from here. And we've got USC Upstate basket, uh, baseball coach Mike McGuire. Had a big year last year, poised for another big year up there in Spartanburg at Harley Park. Talk to Coach McGuire, top of the hour. Stay with us. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. Hi, this is Lisa Hosteller-Brown. Do you know the difference between a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust? The difference could easily save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in long-term care costs. Visit LawyerLisa.com to schedule a consultation today. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Daddy, you need a trust. Every lottery ticket purchase keeps education in our state moving forward. In fact, the lottery has raised more than $200 million for state school buses to get our students to school safely every day. Then, the lottery helps those students go even further in their education by funding the Life, Hope, and Palmetto Fellow Scholarships. So remember, when you play the lottery, you're keeping South Carolina students on the road to success. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. When trouble comes like the accidents do, we all get sick and the bills pile too. There's only one number that can help see you through. And if you're healthy, here's what you should do. Call 605-7905. That's the number that you need to know. 605-7905. Zero dollar deductible What's a deductible you say That's the price you have to pay Before the insurance will say We'll help you They keep the number out of reach Because they know that you won't reach That number because they know You're healthy 605-7905 
Zero dollar D dumped and bone. Six oh five, seven nine oh five. Seven two seven is the area code. Ah, back on Sports Talk. Smitty stepping in for Phil Cornblue. We're going to have Corn circle back with us. He is covering the game from Knoxville. Follow along what's happening uh, on Twitter at Sports Talk SC. Phil's going to give me the details on South Carolina and Tennessee. Uh, Pat, you have some details. You always you always like shaming guys for making too much money in football. Why don't you, why don't you share with everyone what you shared with me during the break? Yeah, I just happened to be scrolling through Twitter, and I found this interesting. So this is a comparison of the two starting quarterbacks in this upcoming Super Bowl. First of all, for the San Francisco 49ers, former Iowa State quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant himself, Brock Purdy. His annual salary or his yearly cash he made this year, $870,000, which I think any one of us participating or listening right now would, would very much so love to have in a year. But on the other side, for the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, $59 million. So $870,000 versus $59 million. Just just wild to look at the difference between the two starting quarterbacks. Got to get those State Farm commercials. That's right. That's right. And it also just shows how, yes. how so many teams are able to capitalize off the rookie the rookie contract. Because right now, Brock, Brock Purdy is, I mean, that's one heck of a bargain for a guy that I don't think he was ever seriously in the MVP competition, but he was at least in the conversation throughout the season against Patrick Mahomes, multiple-time Super Bowl winner, multiple-time MVP, many of which are already comparing to some of the greats like Montana and Brady and Manning and so forth. So I, I get it. I get the difference. But for the Chiefs to still be able to have the success they are while paying a guy $59 million speaks volumes compared to what the 49ers are able to do paying a guy eight hundred and seventy k. Well, you're right, and the 49ers have done a great job of building from the inside out, right? They're elite at the offensive line, right? and they've got those pieces that work, whether it's Brandon Ayuk or uh, Depot Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. You couldn't have uh, Nick Bosa defensively. (laughs) The list goes on. You couldn't have those pieces if Brock Purdy, as you said, wasn't on that rookie contract. So that's how John uh, Lynch – has constructed that franchise, and they want to build it. Whereas Kansas City, unfortunately, they've had to let some guys go, including uh, Tyreek Hill. You That's don't right. think they'd like Tyreek Hill back? Uh, that, that was a, a weapon for them and a Super Bowl champion. But you had to, to rebuild and, and, and build a better mousetrap, a different, or at least a different way. And in this case, Kansas City rebuilt defensively, and they just they leaned so heavily on Mahomes and Travis Kelsey offensively. Speaking of which, you t- he is Patrick Mahomes is a magic man, and he's got them in another super in another Super Bowl chance to win his third and early on in his career. And these are two really good offenses. But let me remind everyone: I ran across these today, Pat. I think it's unlikely even in this pass-happy era of, of the NFL, that these offensive marks will be broken. You might, you may or may not remember the record for most touchdown passes in a Super Bowl. Do you happen to remember this? The fewest passes to win a Super Bowl? No, 
No, most touchdown passes in a Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Um, hmm. Off the top of my head, I, I'm not sure. What you got? Steve Young threw six wow. against the Chargers. Come on. Probably not getting probably not getting broken on February 11th. Most points in a game, that same game, 55 points. Actually, that was a different game. I'm sorry, a Joe Montana game. They scored 55 against John Elway and Denver. Wow. How about this? Most passing yards in a quarter. You may or may not remember this. This is a little before your time, Pat. Doug Williams went absolutely berserk for the and threw for 228 yeah. yards in a single quarter, the Gosh. second quarter. And that they was with the West Coast offense points. too. That was that was a lot of dinking and dunking for little five to ten yard passes too. That well, wasn't that wasn't much hit, downfield. He hit two hit two big ones to Ricky Sanders, but Doug Williams went absolutely gonzo. Thirty five points in a single quarter against again against John Elway. Uh, longest longest pass. This one could be broken, but longest pass in Super Bowl history. I bring this up for a very specific reason. This is the golden era of your NFL fandom, Pat. Do you know the the record for eight the eighty five yard touchdown pass in a Super Bowl? Musin Muhammad or Steve Smith? I'm guessing it's a Panther. You you got it, Musin Muhammad. Jake Delone and Musin Muhammad connected on the longest pass play in Super Bowl history. 85 yards. All right. Just thought I'd bring some of that up as, a hey, could be points scored. Could be some fireworks in this Super Bowl, but I don't think any of those records are getting touched. Mike McGuire, USCF State baseball coach, joins us on the other side. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Yeah, welcome into hour number two of Sports Talk, Smitty sitting in for Phil Kornblut. He is up on Rocky Top. Chris is traveling with Coastal Carolina. They've got a game against James Madison in a couple of days. Right now, South Carolina trailing Tennessee just 22-21 in Knoxville. So hanging tough. And if you want to get the uh, report from Phil Kornblut, just got to hang on about 10, 15 more minutes, and he'll be with us as that game goes to half. But right now, you know when I sit in, the conversation always turns to baseball. And we've got a good one with us. Last season, USC Upstate was down to the final out with a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. Lost to Campbell, elite baseball program, 3-2. to two. But Mike McGuire is back at USC Upstate. He's got a lot of players back with the Spartans as well. Coach, so glad to talk to you. Looking forward to the season. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. Well, Coach, I brought that up, kind of the bad news first. Uh, I, you know, obviously, I was watching, like a lot of us, was watching USC Upstate and Campbell, and you were right there. So for those that don't follow uh, mid-major college baseball. Take us back through what happened, uh, the Big South tournament, and exactly 
how tough Campbell was last year? Well, first off, uh, you know, they've been a very good program. Uh, you know, when I took the job at, at USC Upstate, you know, I, Campbell was a program I circled and said, hey, if we're going to compete for championships, we got to be able to compete with them. And, you know, we finished second in the league behind them each of the last three years, but each year we closed the gap a little bit. And I, obviously this past year we went into the last weekend of the regular season knowing uh, – we had to sweep in order to win, win the Big South regular season championship. And, you know, we, we won the first two games of the series, uh, both, uh, you know, dramatic games, scored late in the eighth to win game one, uh, walked off, uh, walked them off in game two, and then uh, lost an in extra innings in game three. And, uh, you know, really, you know, played well uh, and, so forth, and then went into the Big South tournament, and uh, you know didn't play uh, particular. Went through the first game, and then uh, you know met Campbell, and just didn't play our best baseball that game. Game kind of got away from us early, but then uh, fought back through the losers bracket, got them into the championship, and of course had to beat them twice. And uh, you know at that point, coming through the losers bracket, you're on fumes. And from a pitching standpoint, and uh, you know, our closer Jake Kubler gave us a phenomenal start, and you know, we had two one lead headed into the eighth, and uh, you know, unfortunately gave uh, back to back solo homers in the eighth to to lose three two, and uh, you know, it was a it was a tough ending to the year, but it was a proud uh, you know as a coach once you get step back, uh, you know, I was proud of our club, proud of our you know the ground we covered as a program you know when you consider that uh, our opening day lineup uh you know by the midpoint of the season i'd lost my three four six and eight hole hitters basically for the season and as well as one of those guys that i lost was also one of our top pitchers so you know just the injury bug hit us uh all freak injuries and and it had an effect but uh you know, we, we've recruited well since I've been here and gotten better every year and got a little bit deeper, and that's how we were able to overcome the adversity of the injuries we had and 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 really did a lot of great things last year. And I think that leads us into this year where we're, we're a veteran club, uh, a lot of experience around the field as well as on the mound, and really only lose one everyday position player off of last year's club. So, uh, you know, we're an older club, so we're very excited. Yep. Coach Mike McGuire joining us here from USC Upstate. And, Coach, you, you said it. Uh, I buried the lead. I wanted to go back and just and hear you talk about last year and how proud you were of that club. But this year, you are voted number one in the Big South preseason poll. The expectations now are high. You won't be sneaking up on anybody this year. But as you said, you've got Troy Hamilton and Easton Cullison coming back, Noah Sullivan. These are players that hit better than 300, had extraordinary seasons, and they've been through this again. So they ought to be able to handle those expectations. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is is I've got so many battle-tested guys you know, behind the plate, David Pereira was our number one catcher last year and had a really big year for us. Uh, Grant Sherrod returns at first base, and he set school records for homers and RBIs a year ago. Uh, obviously, Easton uh, at second base set a school record for stolen bases in a season last year. And Troy Hamilton's, I think, the best shortstop in the Big South. Uh, 
and uh, was really kind of carrying us offensively. He missed uh, about the last uh, 15 games of the regular season with a broken hand, got hit by a pitch. Uh, he came back in the tournament and played, but was far from 100%. But, you know, had a had a big year for us. And then, uh, you know, in the outfield, you know, Jace Reinhardt and Daniel Jernan both return everyday guys, preseason all-conference guys that had big years, as you know, as well as getting back, you know, a healthy Noah Sullivan, who we lost after 18 games last year, uh, Kobe Croft, who's a middle lineup bat that we lost four games into the season last year. So uh, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about, you know, who we are positionally, but uh, equally excited on the mound with what we returned there. You know, Henry Proger, who was a, a horse for us on the rotation, Matthew Curtis, who has really developed, had a good freshman year, but I expect him to be at another level this year. And, and then, uh, Returning Jake Kubler, you know the best conference in the in in the big south or best closer in the big south, and uh, uh, I think uh, a healthy Noah Sullivan uh, on the mound uh, as well as offensively uh, is a big shot in the arm. You know when you lose a guy like that to injury, you're losing one of your best hitters, but you're also losing one of your best pitchers, and and so that's what makes me proud of what we were able to overcome a year ago but I'm excited about where we are right now in the preseason from a health and depth standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And right out of the shoot, Coach, you've got an opportunity to beat a big name. Uh, you certainly thought your team was going to be good based on the way you scheduled. You've got Kentucky coming to Hartley Park. So everybody can come see SEC versus Big South baseball to – potential tournament teams February 16th at Harley Park. Yeah, excited about the series. Excited to have Kentucky, you know, down here. You know, we play a good schedule year in, year out, but it's not very often we get them in our ballpark. And, you know, we've, you know, we play Clemson and South Carolina at Floor Field. You'll know, get to bat last, but it's not quite the same as, you know, we don't practice there every day. We don't play there all the time. Uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for us. But, you know, to get a, a, an opponent the quality of Kentucky, who hosted a regional a year ago, was number two in the country in RPI a year ago, uh, getting a program of that magnitude here for a three-game set, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for us to kind of put ourselves on the map a little bit. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of eyes on that series, and, and certainly uh, – uh, they come in with a lot of expectations coming off a super regional appearance and a lot of key players back. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a lot, it's a good test for us. And, and I really, you put the schedule together for a couple of reasons. One, you want to test your program. You want to test your team. You want to be battle tested by the time we hit conference play. But also you hope and expect to get to a regional. When you get there, you want your uh, – you want your guys to be experienced in playing in, you know, in environments, play, playing in hostile environments uh, in front of big crowds against uh, high-caliber opponents. And, and we're certainly do, doing that with playing Clemson three times in addition to Kentucky uh, three times, a two-game series at, at Coastal Carolina. We've also got South Carolina on the schedule. And, you know, that's nine games right there on our schedule against teams that hosted a regional a year ago. So – that's a handful, and then you, 
you know, you peek behind it a little bit and you see, uh, you know, a midweek uh, game against an Elon team that was in the 60s in RPI. And then uh, we've got Penn here for a three-game series. And Penn uh, won the Ivy League and uh, almost won the Auburn Regional a year ago. And Ryder, who, uh, you know, won the MAAC and uh, was, uh, uh, you know, upset Coastal Carolina in the Coastal Regional a year ago. So, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of challenges on our schedule uh, in addition to Big South play, but also it's a schedule that I think recruits, you know, resonate to. I mean, they see that and they see that we're, as a program, not afraid to play anybody anytime. We'll schedule the best of the best, and and it's an opportunity to challenge our program. But uh, But also, you know, if we can handle that portion of the schedule, it's an opportunity to put ourselves on the map a little bit. Uh, Coach, we'll we'll let you go with this, but I want to hear the answer to this question. Are you – because, look, the campus at USC Upstate is beautiful. The programs, the athletic department as a whole, has grown by leaps and bounds in the last few years. Are you seeing recruits act differently toward you than you did when you first took that job and and had to really build it? Uh, No question. No question. I, I mean, obviously, we've had success uh, on the field, and you know, kids. I think kids want to play somewhere where you got a chance to win. Uh, they want to play the schedule we play. Uh, you know, the continuity I've had with my coaching staff, and and uh, not having a lot of turnover there is a big thing because we're big on development. Uh, but I think you can see just you know we're in this transfer portal era when. You know, every program in the country has got some guys leaving, and we're not immune to that, but we didn't have much leave. And you look at what we added, uh, you know, uh, Tommy Henninger, a, a transfer from Ole Miss, who's going to pitch a lot for us. Uh, you know, Jagger Jeffress, a left-handed pitcher, transfer from Eastern Michigan, is going to pitch for us. Uh, uh, Bo Kaufman's a, a transfer from Western Kentucky pitcher that uh, should have an impact for us. So, you know, we're uh, – I, you know, when it comes to the portal, I mean, I think that those kids, that when they come out, they're looking, you know, am I going to play? You know, does the program win? Does the coaching staff invest in me? And, and I think we have those things. On top of USC Upstate being a good school academically and a kid being able to get an affordable education. And that speaks volumes. In this day in college baseball where you got 11.7 scholarships, you got to make it spread out amongst your entire team. I just think we have a lot to sell. Uh, our administration is great. Uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, just in the short time I've been here, we've grown leaps and bounds. And the support for baseball, I think, between Dr. Harris and Matt Martin, our AD, you know, recognizing that the level that we can compete at in baseball, you know, baseball is a little different animal. And certainly for us as a uh, you know, Southern school, you know, with our, our climate and the ability to recruit all over the country, uh, you know, we've got some guys that, uh, you know, it's probably a little more challenging for some other sports to get uh, a player of that caliber. And, you know, their support's been tremendous. And if you come to Harley Park, I mean, you're going to see a lot of new things this spring. And that's all, you know, from, you know, the commitment from our administration, but, uh, you know, new dugout rails, dugout padding, uh, you know, new pitch clocks up, outfield, new outfield wall, 
uh, you know, a lot of artwork and so forth. It's just the whole ballpark is just dressed up a lot. And that's, those things speak volumes to recruits. And, you know, I appreciate the support we're getting and recognition that we can continue growing as a program. We've covered a lot of ground since I took the job, but we're a long ways from where I want to get to ultimately, which is a program that is in a regional or regular basis. You know, I would love to get to the point as a program where, you know, if we don't get to a regional, it's a disappointing year. And, uh, you know, I think we're, we're taking steps every day to try to get there. Coach, all you've done there at USC Upstate is win. Continued success. You know, I'll see you around the ballpark when, uh, when it warms up. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do one of those chilly games. I won't do it, but when the sun <laughs> comes right. out, I'll be at Harley Park. With yeah. You. Yeah, well, we look forward to it. We look forward. I appreciate it. Appreciate the support, and we're very excited about the upcoming year. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. There is Mike McGuire, head coach for USC Upstate. Again, they open three-game set hosting Kentucky, Kentucky February 16th. Big-name opponent coming into Harley Park early in the season. All right, now. We're going to talk a little hoops. South Carolina and Tennessee, they're in a good one. Phil Kornblut has got his hush puppies right there on the sideline watching this one. He's got a report for us. Phil, are you with us? All right, guys. I don't know that if you're Lamont Paris that you could be any happier with the way things went here in the first half. You go into the locker room up 30-26. to 26. And you mentioned Mississippi State, Smitty, earlier as we were talking about this one. I, you nailed it. Mississippi State held them to 22 points. The Gamecocks told Tennessee to 26 points. That's their second fewest. Vanderbilt held them to 30 on Saturday. And then, of course, they got better in the second half. So the pace is going just the way South Carolina would want it to, keeping the fast break points down to – Practically nothing. In fact, the Gamecocks have four. The Vols only have two. The Gamecocks kept the turnovers down. They've only turned it over three times. Tennessee's turned it over three times. The shooting was uh, good enough for South Carolina. They warmed up to 37%. They were down in the low 20s. Cooper was terrific for them in the first half. Ten points, two for two for three, four for six overall. couple of rebounds, but just his his core leadership is directing into the offense, making sure that pace stays the right way. Uh, hey, Phil, I don't mean to jump in on you too bad here, but hey, uh, we're having a real hard time understanding you. If you won't mind maybe dropping your signal and reconnecting with us real quick, we just want to make sure the listeners can, can fully get this because that sounds like quite an exciting first half. So, Phil, we'll have you reconnect, and uh, should should only take you about a moment here. And let's see, Phil, you might be back with us already. Phil, can you hear me? Yeah, it's better. Oh. Nope. Uh-oh. If anything, if anything, it might be worse. So, Smitty, I'm going to ta- <laughs> okay. toss it back to you for a second. I'm going to try to talk to him off yeah, air well, and see if we can get that addressed real quick. All right. We're gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get that because we want to hear what Corn is seeing there in person in Knoxville South Carolina has a 30 to 26 advantage as the teams are in the locker room. And as Corn said, uh, you know, neither club shooting it very well. This is a defensive struggle, which is precisely the prescription 
that South Carolina wanted going into this ballgame because Tennessee and Connect can be explosive. He's got 13 points, does Connect. But overall, as a team, the rest of the, the Volunteers Club only has six made field goals and only two three-pointers. So Lamont Paris and the game plan right now is absolutely playing out. Um, it, you know, it, it, Corn mentioned it's a half-court game. It's what South Carolina wanted. But you know Tennessee is going to come at them in the second half. Can you bear down and withstand the run? Rick Barnes is probably lighting them up in the locker room right now. Yeah, I would certainly agree with you there. And we'll try again with here one one second. Phil, Phil, if you can hear me, it sounded about the same. Let's try it. Try it one more time if we can. And Smitty, to that point, you got to think this first half, thirty to twenty six score. That's got to be in the Gamecocks' favor. If they're able to keep this a low-scoring ball game, a defensive ball game, that has to play into the Gamecocks' strength here. It, you're not letting the firepower of Tennessee's offense really catch hold or anything. And if they're able to maintain that, but to your point, it's all going to be about the halftime adjustments here. What is it that Tennessee is going to see? And they might be able to come out and kind of switch something here, switch something, something there, and try to break through this Gamecock defense. And then if you're Lamont Paris... Is it? Or do you just try to stick to the same script and essentially force the Volunteers to beat what you've come out with, or do you make some adjustments as well? Well, let's try Corn one more time. Corn, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. How do, how do I sound? Uh, a bit robotic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, Phil. Sounds good. We'll take a little time here. We will take a little time here. We'll, we'll keep it right here. But uh, the story is South Carolina leading Tennessee 30 to 26 at the half. And you said something, uh, Pat, about halftime adjustments. And one thing we know about Lamont Paris. The last time he was in this position where he had someone down because Alabama, they weren't down, but Lamont Paris and the Gamecocks had Kentucky in their sights. And in the second half, they extended the lead. Now, that game was at home. That was with the home fans. And admittedly, the Wildcats had an off day. They they did not like the physicality that South Carolina was playing with that particular night at the CLA. This is different. This is a different animal. This is on Rocky Top. Yeah. But the last time we saw Lamont Paris in this spot, his halftime adjustments, A-plus across the board. Absolutely. And I think going back to the question I was asking is, is do you, if you're Lamont Paris, do you just come out with the same script you had in the first half and essentially force Rick Barnes to be the one to make the chess move? Do you basically say, I'm not going to change what I'm doing until you prove that you can beat it? Or... Do you already have a backup plan in place for what Rick Barnes comes out? Looking back at that that game against Kentucky, the half halftime score was very similar to today. It was thirty three to twenty five Gamecocks. But then the second half, after Calipari made some adjustments, it was a much higher scoring second half uh, with the Gamecocks outscoring the Wildcats forty six to thirty seven. But again, it seemed almost like Lamont Paris forced uh, Calipari and the Wildcats into shifting what they wanted to do in the second half, but Paris already had a plan in place to combat that. Again, it was like a 3D-level game of chess going on over here, and I'm wondering if we might see the same tonight where Lamont Paris comes out with a very similar 
scheme defensively as the first half and essentially forces the volunteers to make that next move. Yep, you may be right. All right. Well, we are going to take a moment. We'll try. We're going to go to recruiting here, and we will try corn back at 735. So that's the game plan uh, because there's so much that we want to soak up from uh, what's going on up there at Rocky Top. But right now, speaking of soaking up, let's do the Seawells recruiting report. Pat, you have anything to share about Seawells before I begin? Well, Seawells, I think I think our listeners all know how much I love Seawells. I love everything about it. I'm a big fan of the gravy, especially anytime there's something that I can slather with gravy, I'm all for it. Now, to, tomorrow, Wednesday, over at Seawells, they will have southern fried chicken, pulled pork, and teriyaki glazed salmon, which is a menu item you don't see too often. So highly recommend getting over there to Seawells. 14 bucks, all you can beat, uh, all you can beat eat buffet. It's absolutely terrific. Go visit the friends directly across from the Rocket over on Rosewood by the fairgrounds. All right, we had David Hood, TigerNet.com, join us earlier. We were talking a little recruiting. Clemson had seven highly regarded offensive linemen among their junior day visitors last weekend. Two had already come forward with commitments. And new offensive line coach Matt Luke is looking for more. One he has gotten particularly close with was offensive tackle Mal Waldrop. 6'5", 295-pounder out of Phoenix City, Alabama. Stop me if you've heard that before. Former Clemson offensive line coach Thomas Austin offered Waldrop on behalf of the Tigers and got the ball rolling with him. Luke has come in and taken the recruiting relationship to the next level. Waldrop visited Auburn earlier in the month, and this Saturday plans to visit Alabama, check out their new staff after Saban has stepped away. And uh, after that, it's kind of a wait-and-see deal. I'm really taking it day by day, said Waldrop. I'm just not sure right now I'm going to make more visits. Some of Waldrop's other offers are Tennessee, Colorado, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, Florida State, UCF, and Georgia Tech. His most recent offer, Ole Miss, where Matt Luke used to be the head coach. South Carolina coach Shane Beamer visited tight end Marshall Pritchett of Rabin Gap, Georgia, and defensive end Anthony Addison of Center Tuesday morning. Clemson safeties coach Mickey Kahn visited with safety Martell's corner of Paducah, Kentucky. Clemson cornerback coach Mike Reed visited with cornerback Caleb Lanier of Decatur, Georgia, Tuesday. We've got a little bit more on the recruiting report, and we'll try to catch up with Phil Kornblut when we come back. You're listening to Sports Talk. Welcome back to Sports Talk. Smitty stepping in tonight for Chris Bergen as Chris is on the road with Coastal Carolina. They've got James Madison coming up. They've got to make the trek up in that direction. Of course, Pat Daniel is here with us. And Phil Kornblut is on location for South Carolina, Tennessee, up on Rocky Top. South Carolina trying to pull the upset over highly ranked Tennessee on Rocky Top. Corn has moved to a luxury box and gotten a better signal. So we're going to get back to him in just a second as soon as they go to timeout there in Knoxville. I want to clean up 
uh, the recruiting report finish up. I left you off with Clemson cornerbacks coach Mike Reed. Last uh, He visited with cornerback Caleb Lanier of Decatur, Georgia on Tuesday. South Carolina target cornerback Shamari Earls was offered by Michigan and Indiana. South Carolina offered 2026 offensive lineman Brody Smith of Bearden, Tennessee. 2026 defensive lineman Jaden Travers of Baltimore. 2027 tight end Justin Weeks out of Atlanta. And 2027 defensive tackle Maddox Fackle of Baltimore. Blythewood defensive tackle Sterling Sanders was offered by UConn. Safety Demarcus Leach out of Abbeville was offered by Wake Forest. It's all about the A. 2026 wide receiver Jordan Gidron of Ridgeview was offered by Duke. And 2026 safety Jazavian Currents of South Point Stallions was offered by Miami and Ole Miss. That's the recruiting report presented by Seawells. Look for the hashtags ST Recruiting on social media and you can just go to sportstalksc.com any day of the week and get the latest in Palmetto State recruiting from Phil Kormlute. He's got it covered like gravy. All right, uh, Pat, we'll bring you back in. You've been orchestrating all of this. We want to make sure we don't miss the chance to get corn back with us. Do you know where we are? We're getting close to a timeout. I think we are. And uh, Tennessee's made a little run here in the second half. They have. I'm looking right here. It looks like it's 35-33. The Gamecocks are still ahead, unless stat broadcast might be a bit behind. We have right at, coming up on the 16-minute mark. I believe we should have hit a timeout at the 15-minute mark, so we probably just got another another two or three minutes okay. in real time before we'll uh, we'll connect with Corn. All right. Well, we'll, well, yeah, we'll hang right here. And as you're as you're saying, if the statistics are up to date for us. Uh, Tennessee's outscored South Carolina, but just 7-5 to five in the second half. There was a 7-0 run for Tennessee in there, uh, which you knew would come at, at some point. Tennessee's going to make its runs, and South Carolina's going to have to dig in and turn them away. As Corn mentioned uh, in his last report, Talon Coop, 10 points, two three-pointers in the first half, and in a game like this, in a defensive struggle, two three-pointers is a lot. B.J. Mack, that's someone I think I mentioned at the outset of the broadcast. What can South Carolina get from B.J. Mack in this situation? He really wasn't a factor in that loss to Alabama, but he was a major factor when South Carolina knocked off Kentucky with the CLA, and he's in double figures with 11 points. And, Pat, I want to bring this up because I think you were right. You mentioned Ziegler for Tennessee, their outstanding point guard, and what a catalyst he is tonight. Struggling. Uh, South Carolina perhaps focusing on him defensively. Ziegler's 0 for 4 from the field and just has two assists, no points in 22 minutes. That may be the key to why South Carolina's in this ballgame. Totally agree with you. And yeah, I did go back and check. He sustained, uh, unfortunately, a torn ACL, was right in the beginning of March last year. And that really kind of ended the Volunteers' hope of making a run or at least chasing a national championship last season. He is uh, the engine that makes them run. And today, to your point, he's 0-4 from the field, 0-2 uh, from three. He only has one rebound, two assists to go with two turnovers. The defense from the Gamecocks has really clamped down on him. And then conversely with the Gamecocks, Michi Johnson has not had a very good game thus far. He's only one of five overall from the field, one of three from three. He has three points, two rebounds, and three assists on, on the game so far. But the Gamecocks are able, to, are able to make up for what he has not been able to contribute 
the volunteers, they cannot say the same. All right, well, let's get more from Phil Kornblund, who's standing by. As I said, he's right there on the sidelines, probably in a luxury box now. Got a better signal for South Carolina and Tennessee. Corn, what you got? Yeah, hopefully. You got me now? Loud and clear. All right, all right, good, good. Yeah, Pat covered a good bit of it. 35-35 at the under 16, 15-48 to play. Sorry about the halftime report. Wish you could have heard it more clearly. But I'll tell you, South Carolina still has this game right where it wants it. Amazingly, these must not be ACC officials because the home team's been whistled for five fouls in the first uh, four minutes and 12 seconds of the second half. There was one period there where Tennessee was whistled for four fouls in like 25 seconds. The crowd was going nuts. Some folks were idiots and were throwing things on the floor. That drew a warning from the PA announcer. Tennessee's already been called for five fouls in this half. But they've outscored the Gamecocks 9-5. to five. You mentioned Michi Johnson in a terrible shooting slump. He did make a three for the Gamecocks' first basket of the second half. That was his first basket since he hit a three at the very end of the Kentucky game. He went 0 for 9 against Missouri. He missed his first attempts here in this one. As you pointed out, he was, before he made that three, he was uh, 0 for, he was 0 for 4. So now he's 1 for 5. So 1 for his last 14. The key thing here is South Carolina is hanging in and they're eating up clock. Uh, and they're fighting uh, Tennessee well on the boards. They got Tennessee in a little bit of a foul situation here. Like I mentioned, they're already at five, uh, and we've got 15-48 to go in the half. So a lot of things working in the Gamecocks' favor if they can maintain this kind of tempo and make it an ugly game in terms of shooting and, and scrapping and things like that. They'll have a chance in the last five minutes. Back to action, so I'll send it back to you guys. Thanks, Phil. And one quick observation there. I would love to have been able to ask him, but I know he needs to get back. So coming into this game, the Gamecocks rank 118th in the country in rebounds per game, while the Volunteers rank 30th in the country. So you had to think that was a significant advantage in Tennessee's favor. But thus far in the ballgame, the Gamecocks actually in total rebounds are out-rebounding Tennessee 25-24. to Would love to hear from him. Maybe we'll get a another recap later or hear about it tomorrow night, how exactly the Gamecocks were able to win the battle on the glass so far. Well, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point, and rebounding can be a funny thing because, look, there's only – no one for South Carolina has more than five rebounds. So they've got to – it's got to be a team rebounding concept right now, just everybody, you know, throwing the body on a man, and no one for Tennessee has more than five rebounds. So – it's just one of those things, it seems. I think it's a slow pace, and I think everybody's locked in defensively. That's my guess, I mean, without having eyes on it. Right. I just think it's one of those nights. And uh, and what you're talking about, the Tennessee's an elite rebounding team. Will there be a big offensive rebound for the Volunteers late in the game? Can South Carolina keep this up? Because as you know, Pat, you played, played hoops in, in high school. Boxing out, blocking out all night long against a tenacious team will wear you out. That's exactly right. It's going to adversely affect the Gamecocks either on the defensive side of the ball or the offensive. Seeing so far, looks like the Gamecocks have gone nine deep. Well, both teams have gone nine deep. So they are going off the bench a bit here. 
looks like Ugasek is getting some some good minutes here. He's yet to hit a shot, but he has four rebounds in just five minutes of action. So you got to think having a player be able to come off the bench. Heck, the bench alone. Let's see, has uh, well, uh, whatever. They have a number of rebounds off the bench themselves, but but none none bigger yeah. than uh, well, Gray has five as well. Uh, so that's right there, nine rebounds off the bench between just two players. So to your point, as some of the starters get kind of beat up and worn down, being able to have guys off the bench come in and help contribute off the glass is huge. There you go. Uh, we've got to get a sponsor for our rebounding spon- uh, segment in the future. All right. <laughs> we'll take a break. Our last one tonight. So it's still time for you to get in. Triple eight. 898-2525. South Carolina currently leading Tennessee 37-36 up on Rocky Top. Phil Kornblut's right there. Be sure to track him at Sports Talk SC. Look for, look for the game story tonight, sportstalksc.com. And, hey, North Carolina's in action tonight. We'll give you that score update when we come back. We're with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer, let's say I'm out in the woods or I'm on the water and I need to reach a DNR agent. How do I do that? Operation Game Thief, Phil. It's been around 30-plus years. You can call us at our 24-hour hotline any time of day, 1-800-922-5431. To report wildlife violations or to get help if you're in trouble in the woods or on the water, call us at Operation Game Thief, 1-800-922-5431. Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. George Bryant here with Tsunami Bar Sports, and wow, Tsunami Robbie, there is now an amazing technology that you can use when you train, receiving large gain without having to endure pain. Please explain. George, that is the magic combination. I have three simple words to define that entire concept. Stimulation, not annihilation. Regardless of your training goals, there is a level of stimulation 
that is optimal for your desired gains. Tsunami Bar's flexible bar technology meets these demands because the user determines the level of stimulation with the amount of speed and force they impart into the bar or training device. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. We are the NFHS. That stands for the National Federation of State High School Associations. But really, what we stand for, together with the SCHSL, are the 96,000 high school sports students in South Carolina. And so we stand. We stand for the runners, soccer, and basketball players. We stand for their coaches, administrators, and officials. We stand for the swimmers, football players, and wrestlers. We stand for the golfers, softball, and volleyball players. We stand as the national leader and advocate for high school athletics and all who participate in them and make them possible. Because it is our purpose to ensure that high school students get to play, perform, and compete together. To learn more about who we are and what we stand for, visit nfhs.org. Back on Sports Talk, Smitty here with you, Pat Daniel, running things from our Columbia studios. Phil Kornblut is on location tonight in Knoxville for South Carolina and Tennessee, where the Gamecocks are locked in a good one. If you're just joining us, South Carolina led Tennessee at the half. Clemson, of course, is yet to tip. We'll have coverage of that also at SportsTalkSC.com. That one is set to tip 9 o'clock on the ACC Network, Clemson. Coming off a devastating loss against Duke over the weekend, will play host to a scuffling Louisville club that just has six wins on the season. If you missed our conversation tonight with David Hood, I thought he had a really good perspective on uh, that Duke ball game. And you can go back and check that out. You can find that uh, on our YouTube channel, or you can go to sportstalksc.com. Get there through SoundCloud or various other formats if you want to listen back to what David Hood had to say about that Clemson-Duke finish. I mentioned that North Carolina is in action tonight, ranked third in the country. And right now, they're locked in a pretty good one on the road in Atlanta at Georgia Tech. It's North Carolina 36, Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech 32 late in the first half. So that's one we'll certainly keep an eye on. Um and as I mentioned, I certainly want to get uh, 
the bracketology in tonight because, as I've said a couple of times with my favorite stats now, South Carolina and Clemson have not been in the same NCAA tournament since 1997. Could happen this season. So we've still got bracketology to come. But quickly, I want to go to Pat. That You've got an update on the Tennessee NCAA investigation. Just a quick reset on that. If you've missed it, Tennessee is reportedly under investigation for funneling players to its NIL groups. And Tennessee claims that all of this, all of the allegations, come from prior to the guidance and the regulations being set in stone, that everybody was operating without clear guidelines from the NCAA, so you can't now go back and uh, kind of retroactively do those. What yeah. was happening? Yeah, right. retroactively for what was taking place. So, Pat, you've got a quick update on Tennessee in that NCAA investigation. I do, and real quick update. Then I'm gonna toss it up to Phil, who's at a timeout there, to give us one more one more update from Knoxville. But first, it seems like this NCAA investigation is hinging in large in large part on a flight for highly regarded uh, quarterback recruit who's now a part of the program. I'm going to butcher his name. I apologize. Nico Emi Olivia. Uh, he took a flight f- to Knoxville from California while he was still in high school, and the issue here is whether he took that flight as a client of a sports collective that signs athletes to NIL deals or if he traveled as a UT football recruit. That distinction seems to be what the NCAA is trying to clear up. And now let's let's toss it over to Phil Kornblut with another update. There's a media timeout with the score 43 to 39 in Knoxville. The Gamecocks ahead. Phil, what you got? All right, guys, you're right. 43-39, and the defense continuing to carry the day for the Gamecocks. They've held Tennessee to no field goals over about the last six minutes. Tennessee's one for their last eight, zero for their last five. The Gamecocks aren't exactly lining it up in the second half. They are shooting a little over 36%, 4 for 11. But Studi has knocked down a couple of threes coming off his injury, and that's been a boost for them. He's now got nine points, three for three from three. Max got 11 points. Cooper's got 10. The Gamecocks are 7 of 21 from three and 6 of 8 from the foul line. So, again, as I leave you with it, they are – they are about as good as you could have hoped for going into this one to have a lead at the under-12 timeout. And has they have this game in terms of the style and the speed exactly where I'm sure uh, Lamont Paris wanted to, it to be when he drew up the game plan. It's just a matter now can they uh, continue to keep their composure and keep the game at this pace for about the next seven or eight minutes and then see what happens in the final two minutes Right now, the Gamecocks are uh, they're getting it done the way you would like to see them get it done. They're up 46-40 to 40 as I toss it back to you. Hey, Phil, real quick before you go, if you, if you got a quick second, we talked about after we, you signed off last time, the Gamecocks are 118th in the country in rebounds per game. Tennessee is 30th, yet the Gamecocks are currently out-rebounding Tennessee 29-26. to 26. What are you seeing from that? Well, I'm seeing great effort inside by South Carolina, good positioning by their bigs. And, you know, they've, they've had a few deep rebounds off of missed threes. Those are just scramble balls, hustle balls. So they've, they've done a good job there. But 
they've just done a, a pretty good job of positioning themselves and uh, and keeping the Tennessee guys on their back and doing the and doing the little things well, uh, playing good defense as I've mentioned throughout and just taking advantage of their opportunities. So, like I said, right now, if you're South Carolina, you you couldn't really be asking for anything more, leading the number five team in the country by six on their home court, and this is a week after you beat number six on your home court. So what a seven-day run it would be for South Carolina if this holds up. You beat number six, you beat number five, and you have Missouri for the meat and the sandwich uh, in the middle on Saturday. But there's still ten minutes of work to be done. That's great stuff. Thank you, Court. As we keep saying, everybody track it on Twitter at Sports Talk SC, and then uh, check out the post-game coverage. However this finishes, we'll have the details for you at sportstalksc.com. Pat, uh, Corn mentioned Miles Studi. Three three-pointers made tonight, nine points. Studi was scoreless when the Gamecocks were blown out at Alabama. That's a factor. The, that he is a factor. That he that he's there. And now, he's, he's had injuries, been in and out. But the fact that Miles Studi is giving them something has got to be a real boost for them. Absolutely. We heard about Studi coming into the season as a sharpshooter, and he was a guy that was going to be depended on by the Gamecocks to be able to come in and be, I don't want to quite say a 3 and D guy. I don't want to limit him just to that, although that can get you a quite long career and a well-paid career in the NBA. That's kind of what he has been for the Gamecocks, and except early on in the season, the three ball wasn't really there. It was very inconsistent, as you said, did not do well against Alabama at all, but now tonight... Coming off injury, you got to think there's a little bit of rust there shaking off, but it sure doesn't look like it today as he is a three for four overall and three for three from behind the arc. Yep. This is this is fascinating if South Carolina can pull it off. And, Pat, I said this to Phil privately off the air, and I'll just share it with you on the air now. I, I, I think it's a couple of weeks ago. I said maybe this South Carolina basketball team is just pretty damn good. You know, the net rankings were telling us that they weren't. Uh, the projections were telling us that South Carolina was going to falter, that they were benefiting from an easy schedule early on in the season. That doesn't look to be the case. I don't know how tonight will work out, but South Carolina took Clemson to the wire. They've knocked off Kentucky. They're 17-3 and heading into this ball game. They've got a lead in the last 10 minutes on the road at Tennessee, and they're a no-doubt great team. Tennessee is no doubt an elite program and an elite team this year. And South Carolina's right there with them. So however this turns out, I think we have to all come around to the fact that to, Lamont Barris is doing, is has been aces this year. And what he's done in the transfer portal with B.J. Mack and Miles Studi and Talon Cooper, A+. Plus. It's all worked. Unbelievable. And, and with that, you got to think scouting is a big part of that. You're looking at players in the portal – and it's almost like recruiting all over again from high school, except now you're trying to find guys, for the most part, that you can plug and play to fill positions of need or certain holes on your team. You're not trying to rebuild a whole roster. You're just trying to fill in the gaps there. And Lamont Paris, to this point, has shown an exceptional ability to look into the portal and find guys that fit into his system, will buy into what he wants his team to do. And right now we're seeing the fruits of those labor of that labor. Absolutely. So South Carolina leads Tennessee a little more than midway through the second half. I said we'd mention bracketology. This, a lot of what I'm going to tell you, 
is going to hinge on tonight's result. Clemson projected by ESPN to be a sixth seed and would face Colorado or Seton Hall in the 11 spot. But the fact is, Clemson, a sixth seed, it's not a bad place to be. South Carolina projected right now to be an eight seed. And that's could move up if they knock off Tennessee tonight. Now, thank you for everything you've done. You'll have Phil Cornblue, Chris Bergen, and the whole crew back with you tomorrow here on Sports Talk.